This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals only. Welcome to the Oncology Knowledge Into Practice podcast, where we discuss game-changing topics in clinical oncology with leading experts in the field. In this series, we're focusing on the ever-changing treatment landscape for cancers of the hematological system. This series is supported by educational grants from Servier Pharmaceuticals LLC and Takeda, who have had no influence on the content or choice of faculty. If you'd like to check out any of the publications that we mentioned in this episode, there's references and links for these in the episode notes. We're your hosts, Hannah Wilgar and Andre Grasso. Our first focus in the series will be acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL. Over the next few episodes, we'll be exploring different strategies in first-line treatment. But today's focus, adolescent and young adult, or AYA patients. After quickly summarizing the data in the space, we will be joined by Dr. Adam Duvall, Assistant Professor of Medicine and Specialist in AYA Cancer Management at the University of Chicago. As always, if you're already very familiar with the data surrounding pediatric regimens in AYA patients, do feel free to skip ahead to the interview at the five-minute mark. ALL is most commonly seen as a pediatric cancer, with the majority of cases being seen in young patients. However, this malignancy does not exclusively affect children. As noted by Terwilliger and Abdul Hay in 2017, although 80% of ALL cases occur in children, it represents a devastating disease when it occurs in adults, with only 30-40% to 40% of adult patients achieving long-term remission. While dose intensification strategies have led to significant improvements in outcomes for paediatric patients, prognosis for older patients remains poor. Standard practices differs between groups, with younger patients receiving a paediatric regimen and adults receiving a range of different chemotherapy combinations. This matter is complicated further for adolescent and young adult patients, or AYA patients. The issues faced by this population were neatly summarized by Muffley and colleagues in 2018. AYA patients, generally regarded as those aged between 15 and 39 years, face a number of challenges in care provision and therapy selection. AYA patients can receive care in pediatric or adult cancer settings and may receive either pediatric chemotherapy regimens or adult regimens as a result. This is a particularly significant issue for AYA patients, as an increasing volume of evidence demonstrates that the use of pediatric ALL regimen is associated with significantly superior outcomes compared to AYA patients treated with an adult regimen, given that up to two-thirds of AYAs with newly diagnosed ALL are treated in an adult setting, there is a clear need to increase awareness of optimal treatment selection among this population. To that end, Let's take a moment to review the available evidence surrounding treatment selection in AYA patients. Siegel and colleagues published a highly useful review for this purpose in 2018, exploring 25 published trials in one meta-analysis. Looking across these studies, there's a clear superiority of the pediatric regimens compared to the adult regimens in AYA ALL patients. For example, the meta-analysis, published in 2012 by Ram and colleagues, concluded statistically significant superior rates of complete remission and relapse-free, event-free, and overall survival rates. So why is the pediatric regimen used less often? One reason may be its relative complexity. 
Siegel's review comments that asparaginase, a critical component of paediatric regimens, is more difficult to administer to AYAs and older patients, with more adverse events, including hepatic dysfunction, pancreatitis and coagulopathies, observed in AYA patients compared to younger patients. However, a wide range of publications have addressed these challenges and observed clinical benefit, and they offer practical guidance for prevention and management of asparaginase toxicities in AYAs. For example, Stock and colleagues' 2019 CALGB10403 study evaluated a paediatric regimen for AYA patients as administered by adult treatment teams. Doses and administration schedules were identical to those in the previous landmark children's oncology group study, AALL0232, and the trial observed a number of positive outcomes. Median event-free survival was 78.1 months, more than double the historical control of 30 months, and median overall survival was not reached. The study concluded that its approach can be considered a new treatment standard, upon which to build for improving survival for AYAs with ALL. Overall, this can be a lot of data to take in, creating a wide range of questions surrounding practical implementation of pediatric-inspired regimens for AYA patients. To help answer some of these questions is Dr. Adam Duvall, Assistant Professor of Medicine and Specialist in AYA Cancer Management at the University of Chicago. Welcome and thank you for joining us. So for our first question, given the data surrounding paediatric regimens for AYA patients has been available for several years, why are so many of these people receiving suboptimal care? What are the barriers for implementing paediatric regimens versus adult regimens? Well, I think it's never simple to implement new data, new, new findings into clinical practice. So I think there's been many studies that have looked at how long it takes to get from actual publication to clinical practice, and that, you know, can be more than 10 years at times. So I think uh, part of it is just, you know, it takes time to kind of um, infiltrate the new, the medical system to be able to get it to be, you know, standard of care. But I also think that, um, you know, the pediatric regimens for uh, AYA, acute lymphoblastic leukemia are, you know, important, but they're also a small part of what most adult oncologists do. Um, you know, AYA leukemia is thankfully a, a rare disease when you look at overall um, incidence of cancer in, you know, different populations. You know, all AYA cancer in general really only makes up about 5% of all cancer seen. So it's, it's hard to say that, you know, you have to be an expert on this when it's really a rare thing that you would ever see if you're either a community oncologist or you specialize in just taking care of, you know, general oncology and, and not AYALL itself. But also, I think it's a really hard thing to do. It's, it's a very complicated system. You know, our, we, it's been modeled after um, children's oncology group or pediatric regimens, you know, in Europe and in various other places. They can speak more to the U.S. experience, so that's, that's what I'll do. But this is similar, I think, in, in Europe and in Australia. Um, so, you know, it's, it, the, everything has been modeled after these COG protocols, which are complex and, you know, take really specific training to be able to understand and to be comfortable with. That pediatric hemoc doctors uh, go through that training and it becomes kind of second nature. But most adult providers don't, and, and so it, it's something that they either have to learn on their own um, or it's something that they 
um, you know, have to partner with people who are more familiar with it. So I think those are some of the kind of more upfront, just easy barriers, but then there's so much more beyond that. You know, uh, pediatric regimens are more toxic in adults. They have different toxicities that you have to be used to. The medical systems for pediatric patients versus adults in general are are widely different with different support staff, um, you know, more support in the pediatric side than you have in the adult side. Um, and then there are inherent biases too, you know, AYA patients can be seen as difficult patients and, you know, they can be kind of a pain in the butt at times because they have a lot of other competing things in their lives and their, their frontal lobes aren't fully formed. So trying to get them to go through these complicated protocols can be seen even as more difficult than, you know, what you would think of for other patients. So there might be a, um, a bias there to then kind of switch to a more familiar, kind of more simple protocol um, that has been used in adults. So I think it's a complex question. I think um, there are many reasons for it, but at the same time, I, I think we need to start addressing all of those reasons and, and trying to get these pediatric or these AYA patients on the correct protocols that would optimize their, you know, event-free survival, but also their you know, overall survival and their hopefully length of life. Perfect. Thank you for that. So in terms of changing practice, is it as simple as saying all AYA patients should now receive a pediatric-inspired regimen? What actually needs to be done in the clinical setting to offer these combination regimens to patients? Well, I think if you listen to my previous answer, it's not as simple as saying that, um, for better or worse. I wish it was. Uh, but I think um, there's a lot of different ways we can change practice um, to be able to kind of help our providers uh, get AYA patients through these complex regimens that can be, you know, increase in toxicity, that can have an increase in toxicity as well. And I think it's going to need to take uh, a multi pronged approach. So I personally did actual training and, and will be board certified in both adult and pediatric chemonc. Um, and there's not very many of us who did that. And I don't think that's the answer because it takes a lot of extra time. And especially in the U.S. with increasing debt for medical school and other training, it's, it's not something that's necessarily sustainable. But I think, you know, having AYA champions like myself, Dr. Stock, who's before me, who's one of my close colleagues here at University of Chicago, I think having AYA champions who can partner with different community oncologists or, um, you know, whether, or hospital systems really um, to help either, you know, take these patients on as uh, um, their primary patients or um, another model is to have actually almost more of a consultative, uh, sorry, consultative approach where you can, you know, help the, the primary providers um, with, you know, common things that you see and how you manage them and, you know, scheduling difficulties, you know, inherent problems within the medical system that it just need to be overcome, um, but not necessarily take the patients away from those providers. I think, you know, we, we should be approaching medicine as a team-based um, activity at this point. It's, it's not something that can be done in a silo. It's not something that can be um, done by just, you know, doctors themselves. So I think um, these partnerships can also help address some of those issues. And then, um, Education, you know, I think, uh, you know, just disseminating the work that's already been done and, and trying to 
um, advertise the work that's ongoing. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of interesting trials that come up constantly. There's one that was just published in the New England Journal of Medicine from the Italian group on not using any chemotherapy at all for patients with a specific type of acute lymphoblastic leukemia with a Philadelphia chromosome. And, you know, that included some AYA patients. And, you know, I think there's still more work to be done in that space, but it's very exciting and, and it's something that, you know, we should try to get out there as, as, as an idea and, and that way we can work forward and, and figure out really what is the best for this as we gain more knowledge and get more experience with these novel agents that we see in practice nowadays. Um, and so I, I think disseminating the information, whether it be on podcasts like this or, you know, now there's medical Twitter and there's lots of information that's being disseminated on there, which I've tried to join a little bit, but it's, you know, it's all new, I think, for a lot of us. But I, I think just getting the information out there is its own battle. Um, and finally, you know, I think what really needs to be done is creating, whether they be comprehensive AYA cancer programs. In the UK, they, you know, they have AYA you know, with, through um, Teen Cancer Trust. A lot of work is done, and they're far ahead of us um, in the U.S. as far as, you know, having really intensive, really specific AYA cancer programs. Um, but I think those can be really helpful for our patients. So that's providing, you know, age appropriate, um, developmentally appropriate psychosocial support, you know, the, the social work aspect of, you know, making sure these patients are scheduled appropriately, have the appropriate follow-up by getting what they needed. And we're addressing all of the needs that pop up um, because, you know, you know, AYA patients could be seen as difficult, but it's it's not that they're difficult. They're just developing, they have different challenges. And unless we address those specific challenges, you know, getting them through these protocols and these combination regimens in a, in a normal clinical setting is, is not going to be feasible in, in the greater scheme. We really should be addressing the whole person with this. So I think, you know, having specific AYA programs that either community oncologists or other hospital systems can partner with if they don't have a big enough group to do it themselves is important and you know working together as a team um, could help address those issues too. Wonderful thank you for that. So what key piece of advice would you offer to our listeners who treat in an adult setting? I think the first piece of advice is just um, treating them as if you would any other individual you know trying to see what um, you know an AYA's needs would be and you know speaking honestly with them about that whether that be in you know, school and, you know, early jobs or in sexual health or in interpersonal relationships, all of these things are going to be different than what you see when you um, uh, are taking care of your older patients or, um, or elderly patients for that matter. And, and so just kind of meeting them where, where they're at and having honest conversations with them and, and admitting when you're not sure about something and when you don't know, um, it, it can be very helpful. But I think the other piece of advice is just identifying champions of AYA oncology who are either local or remote. Um, you know, I, I think we get emails from all over the place or, or contact from all over the place, and we're always happy to help with our experience or if there, we know people who are closer to, to make introductions from that standpoint. But I think, you know, identifying somebody who is your person, if you have uh, AYA patient who you're having trouble with or you want to just double check things is a great thing. You know, everybody is very collegial in this in this field. Uh, the AYA cancer field is, is really small is what I tell everybody and we all know each other. So 
um, it's a it's a great field to be in. And if you if you can identify somebody and don't mind asking for help, I, I don't know of anybody who wouldn't you know drop what they're doing to be able to help uh, a patient who's in need or a provider who has some need and has some questions. So those would be kind of the two things: is just you know meeting the patients where they're at and trying to work with them on where they're at and not having different expectations than you would for other patients. And then finally, you know, really just having a, a champion that you can identify that has experience in the field if you're not comfortable in it and not feeling bad or, you know, worried about reaching out for assistance or questions when, when you think you need to. Great, thank you. So finally, what advice can you offer surrounding adverse event management of the pediatric regimen in AYA patients? I think that's a great question because I think we're learning more about it. You know, pediatric or sorry, AYA patients who are getting these pediatric regimens do have different uh, frequency of adverse events, like different levels of clots with asparaginase, for example, you know, hepatic injury, liver injury, and, and other problems that you wouldn't necessarily see as frequently in, in pediatric patients. But then pediatric patients also experience toxicity differently than adult patients at times too. For example, um, the pediatric protocol uses thiaguanine and actually some pediatric patients would experience a disorder called VOD or SOS, which is a liver disease, which I haven't really seen in our AYA or adult patients yet. So I think it's just different. I don't think there's better or worse necessarily. So I think, um, you know, answering this question also goes back to the previous question about what advice to um, offer adult oncologists. Uh, so it'd be the same for, you know, helping these adverse event um, management strategies would be to reach out early and often to providers who have a lot of experience with it because um, it's not always predictable based on what you would expect in reading the trials. And there is a lot of experience in, in treating, in spe specifically treating a lot of young adults with with ALL and other cancers that you can help them just with normalization and expectations of the patients. So normalizing that, yes, this is a common thing that happens and whether it will get better and when it can get better or, you know, what you can do to, to manage it when, it when it does happen. There's a lot of medications we can use, but then there's also a lot of psychosocial interventions that can be used to help manage this too. But I've found a lot of the times all that's really needed is just normalizing the experience for the young patients and then, you know, almost being a cheerleader and helping them get through it, realizing that, you know, in, in your experience, most of the time it all gets better on its own once they get through the more intense uh, cycles of therapy earlier on. So uh, that those kind of couple of options, I guess, are, are what I would what advice I would give. But again, I think. Um, you know, just reaching out to people who feel comfortable with it and asking specific um, questions about what specific toxicities you're seeing could be the most helpful thing because everybody's a unique person and it's just so hard to predict exactly what everybody's going to experience. Great. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, you know, great to be able to talk about adolescent young adult oncology with people who are, are passionate about it and, you know, we we hope to, to further the field and, and really help our young patients with cancer live longer and live healthier. So any opportunity to talk about it, I'm always happy to. So thank you for the, the time and the platform to be able to do so. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. To recap on the key points we discussed, 
While pediatric regimens provide better outcomes for AYA patients, there are multiple barriers to realizing these benefits in the clinic, including increased toxicity. So it is important and appropriate to reach out to providers with AYA experience who are happy and willing to offer advice and support. Again, if you'd like to check out any of the publications that we've mentioned today, you'll find references for these in the episode notes. Join us for the next episode for a discussion of adult ALL patients and trials exploring the use of pediatric-inspired regimens in this older population. If you enjoyed today, please do subscribe and join us then. And if you have time to leave us a review, we'd love to hear your feedback. If you want more, you can also find free accredited continuing medical education modules on our website, onkip.com. And you can find a link to this in the episode notes. So please do check it out. If you're a Twitter fan, our handle is at onkip. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.